0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Devin Townsend, who is a legendary singer, songwriter, musician, and producer. Over a multiple-decade career, Devin has released over 25 albums. 25. That's a lot. And he's been one of the most prolific figures in the progressive metal world. You know, After being discovered early on in his life, he was chosen to work as a vocalist and a guitarist with Steve Vai on two albums, And after that, Devin embarked on a 27-year-long journey of creating some of the most uniquely amazing music in and around the genre. And he also did a Nail the Mix episode in 2020 with his song, Genesis, which is pretty amazing. Anyways, I introduce you. Devin Townsend. Devin Townsend, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me after several false starts. It's uh good to be here. And uh thanks, John, for making the effort there today because uh I apologize for being late. It's okay. The amount of stress that uh life entails at this point, it is nominal. It, you know, what we've had to go through this morning, this is
0: there's this more than nothing.
1: Sp- this is nothing, man. Yeah.
0: This is actually an interesting topic to me. You know, so so for people who are listening, we've had like three false starts for this podcast. We tried to do it a week and a half ago, I couldn't do it. Then we tried to do it another day, Devin couldn't do it. Then we tried to do it this morning, but we had a mix up on the times. Anyways, point being, here we are. But one thing that I've noticed is that I feel like a lot of people I know Will quit when this kind of stuff happens and I feel like this kind of stuff If you let it get to you and let it stress you out, you might quit doing but I feel like these types of problems are just Regular regular little bumps like they don't like if you're driving down a road and it's not perfectly even who cares You're still gonna you're still gonna keep going but I feel like this kind of stuff gets blown out of proportion too much by people and then slows them down or you know like after the second false start maybe they wouldn't have tried to you know reschedule again. If you hadn't shown up today, I would have hit you up and asked to reschedule.
1: Of course and I would have done it. I think that a lot of even that that statement that you just made about people's tendency to sort of throw in the towel is maybe indicative of some of the ways that the industry has found success over the course of this past year versus some of the other parts of the industry that have not managed to sustain themselves. Because, yes, you know, effort doesn't count necessarily in terms of when it comes to any degree of success. If you gauge your eventual success by how hard, you tried or didn't try i mean i think that's kind of beside the point man it's the end goal is the only thing that's important and if you like you say are the type that will let setbacks determine whether or not something will actually happen i mean there's a good chance nothing will ever happen it's just it's just par for the course man
0: there's always setbacks i mean i feel like if there's ever something that goes down that doesn't have setbacks That's like a bonus.
1: Or it's a suspicious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the tsunami is about to hit.
1: Yeah. It's like, well, that was effortless. This means that we probably didn't do it correctly because in my experience, the amount of projects (laughs) that have succeeded uh, in my world have never been without significant effort. And the funny thing about that effort is it's the last 2% takes as much effort as the first 98% in my experience as well. So you get to the end of it, and uh, if there hasn't been that stress, it's often just like, oh, well, we're clearly not done yet, because we haven't hit that 2% wall yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you think it is about that 2% that makes it hard? Do you think it's a psychological thing? Like people have a hard time finishing, or what do you think it is?
1: I think that the devil's in the details, and the difference between some, something being spectacular and something being average in my experience, are the things that you don't notice when you're first either watching it, listening to it, or participating in it. If you have a product, for example, that is beautifully constructed, and you take it apart, and then upon taking it apart, you recognize that the, the inside of it, things that you would have never seen, or things that a manufacturer would never expect you to see, has had that same degree of effort put into it, then that implies a level of care that I think affects the overall experience of participating in it. Whether or not it's a song or a guitar or a car, those invisible components to what makes those things great are those 2%, right? You may not, when you're uh, first listening to a song, for example, recognize the amount of effort that went into getting all those fades. Or if you're playing a guitar, you may not recognize the effort that went into you know, the body cavity having a certain type of routing that was covered in, you know, a certain type of material. and It's just those attentions to details create an experience with whatever product it is that you're participating in that makes it the next level. It's as simple as that. And I think it's a psychological feeling when you're participating in, in a product that has had that level of attention paid to it, that is really important to me. And I'm sure it is to you as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think, though, it's at least, in my opinion, this is going to sound, I think, obvious, but I don't think it's obvious to everybody listening. You have to make sure that you first covered the 98%. Really, really, really great. And the reason I'm saying that is because I find that a lot of people focus on those last 2% elements prematurely. Um, For instance, in mixing, people will focus on, you know, Getting an outboard and a summing mixer, or their converters and all that stuff before they know how to gain stage or EQ properly. P- guitar players will focus on getting the all the right tubes, you know, perfect everything perfectly biased, the right gear on the amp, like everything. They'll put in so much research into this shit, but their alternate picking is just. <laughs> Half-assed garbage.
1: When you said all the right tubes, I did the Alice Cooper song just immediately uh, sprung into my mind. You know, all the young dudes. I don't know. I just, uh... <laughs> but I no, I agree. I agree. And I think it's I think it's interesting though because I, I think, you know, as you and I have discussed in the past, the the tendency for people to fetishize not only gear but also the process. I think would lead to that uh, that situation that you were explaining. You know, like if somebody has more of an interest in, uh, you know, the physical aspects of what it is that they're using, like this piece of gear and this computer and these tubes or, or what have you, chances are they'll, they'll haul ass through the 98% because all they're really interested in is just using this piece of gear, but maybe that's an indicator for them that they should just reevaluate what it is that they want to actually be doing. Maybe you don't want to be a guitar player. Maybe you want to be an engineer. I think there's clues in there.
0: That's actually a really good point. I do think that different people will discover what they're meant to do after having some false starts (laughs) or thinking that they want to do one thing and just not being able to put in the effort that someone who really, really loves it will. I think that the clue also is in how much effort you are willing to put in. So, for instance, with guitar players, we all know guitar players who played 12 hours a day for, you know, nine years straight. I did it for like three or four years. I'm sure you had your time period in music in your development where you were putting in a ridiculous amount of time.
1: It was just jerking off in guitar, man, between the ages of 13 to to 18. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like when I was doing that, I didn't have to try to do that. I wanted to do that. I would just get wrapped up in it. And we know people like, West Hawk, who still are like that. And so it's like no question whether or not they're doing what they're meant to do. But I feel like if throwing yourself into something is something you've got to talk yourself into <laughs> and uh, you can't lose yourself in it, then maybe that's a clue too, that it's the wrong thing.
1: As devil's advocate though, I think that old adage that people who have been successful have failed more times than than the people who aren't successful have even tried Yes. plays into this as well. And I think that the willingness to put inhuman amounts of effort into something that leads you down a path that may ultimately not work or may not be right for you is um an attribute that I think if your end goal is to succeed, whatever your field is, I think that's essential. And so you may find it's like, oh I'm I thought I was an engineer. I'm not. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a mastering engineer. Maybe I'm not oh, okay. Maybe and at the end of it maybe you're like, oh I'm a gardener. I had no idea right? But I think that <laughs> finding that at the end of it, having allowed yourself to go through that process of failure, and a lot of times publicly, is what will allow you to commit to that final solution. Because you're just like, okay, well, this is what the, the puzzle has ended up being, whatever this is. And so now that this is the solution to that puzzle... I can totally back it a hundred percent. And if somebody calls me out on, maybe you don't like this, or maybe you don't believe this, you're like, no man, because I went through all of that legwork to come to this conclusion.
0: You can't discount having great mentors, right? We've all had great people help us along the way to find our paths. I don't know where I'd be without some of the mentors, whether I talk to them now or not, uh, doesn't matter. Without having the right people help me out to just set the course right. Who the hell knows? How important do you think that is? Uh, You learned from some (laughs) bad motherfuckers.
1: Well, I mean, what's interesting even about hearing you say this is is how that path has led you to being an instructor, which I think is fantastic as well. And I think a lot of times the process is what's so important, in my opinion, like going through all these ups and downs and the false starts and, and all these things. That's just the nature of learning. More so than it being viewed as a deterrent or a, or an attribute, even it's like it's like just the process of finding out who we are, in a business sense or in a personal sense. These are just the things that happen, and and to pursue these things, I don't think even looking at at any of these failures that we have you know accumulated in our lifetimes as being a negative. It's it's absolutely a positive. It's absolutely a positive to to hit a false start because then, you know, right. And I think it's, if you have been fortunate enough to have mentors and people who are selfless enough in a lot of ways to teach you, then who knows where you can end up. I think the problem also ends up, or also, uh, there's a problem when you have mentors who are selfish about their knowledge. Like they don't want to show you the secrets because they're insecure about people taking their job or something, you know?
0: <laughs> or or they hate you if you share the secrets. Well,
1: yeah. Well, maybe that's it. But it's like, there was this engineer I used to work with who didn't want to tell me anything that he did. I was like, dude, how you, how do you do that? It's like, oh, it's kind of my thing, man. And I was like, oh, okay. But then when I ended up <laughs> working with somebody who was really good, like not just kind of good like this guy, but really good. He was like, oh, I do it like this this is how I do it. Here's a compressor I use. Here's the thing that I use. He's confident enough in his own abilities to share. And I think if you're fortunate enough to get people like that in your life, it can lead to, for example, what you've done with your work where you're like, well, I want to share this with other people too. I can be a teacher as a result of having a good mentor.
0: I can't do things halfway or just a little, You know, like just pick it up here and there That's not not my style. I feel like I'd be shitting on all the work that I did. So I'm either all in or not.
1: Well, that's served you well, man. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's weird because a lot of people don't get it and think that, I'm not telling the truth, or they don't understand how I don't just play for fun. Or
1: you're like, why would I lie about this? How in any way would that make sense? Because they can't understand
0: it, they can't understand the mentality. But for real, like I can't do things half-assed and I can't do things halfway, which is why I have no hobbies and I've never had any hobbies. It doesn't work for me. If I do something, I have to commit and then I have to take it as far as it'll possibly go. And since I can't do that with guitar, I've committed to what I'm doing. There's no room for it. There's no room for mixing either. There's just no room.
1: It's funny. It's like uh, when you say that, it reminds me of, I've got this thing that happens between me and, and people that I work with and my wife and my, my parents. And they'll say, for example, hey, Dev, can we fix the, the screen door in, in the back of the house? And I was like, well, I can do it next Thursday. And they're like, well, you're not doing anything right now. It'll take you two minutes. I was like, if my mind's not into it, it'll take me an hour and a half right now, <laughs> and it'll take me a minute and a half next Thursday when I'm prepared for it, right? So maybe it's a similar sort of thing.
0: It actually is a similar sort of thing.
1: <laughs> I like hobbies, though man. I'm starting to really get into them. It's like it's been good for my brain.
0: What's the yeah. secret?
1: <laughs> Knowing that I suck at it and being okay with that
0: and just being all right, yeah, being man. okay with that,
1: totally. And in fact, it's like that's why I like bass guitar so much. Like, I love bass dude. I would play bass more than guitar. Forever and I, I'm just not that great at it. But maybe there's a part of that. I mean, I'm good at holding notes and being in time. But when you see some of these dudes on YouTube that have got like, well, here's me playing over a D minor funk jam, and like doo 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 pop. I'm just like, all right, nope. But if you're looking for a guy to do, you know, one five country licks with his thumb, like dude, I, I'm <laughs> really good at that. I'm really good at that, right?
0: So do you consider bass a hobby? Yeah, I guess. But that's music, so it's kind of working somewhere it fits the big picture.
1: Well, what would define hobby then, I guess would be the the question.
0: Something that has nothing to do with work. Okay. That you enjoy doing for fun, I think.
1: My only thought with that is so like I really enjoy meditation, for example. I love that. It's like become a a huge thing for me as well as exercise or or any of these sorts of things. I kind of like the idea of gardening and and these sorts of things, but I guess you can take any hobby and see how it affects everything else in your trip. And at that point, it does affect my work. And so I, I would view base more as a hobby because... As much as I would love to play bass in a band, there's a good chance that whoever's looking for a bass player is going to find somebody way better than me who's not going to be as expensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so so on that sense, I'm sort of stuck just sitting in my living room going, don't, don't. you know?
0: Maybe working out's a hobby then.
1: Yeah, but it also affects our work too. I mean, it yeah. helps our jobs, right?
0: It's helped my job tremendously. Of course, I'm pretty serious about it too. So, then again, so if I if I'm applying they have to take it as far as it can possibly go mentality, no, I'm not trying to be a competitive athlete or anything like that. Obviously, so I guess it does still count as a hobby. So, all right, there's a hobby.
1: How did your workout? regimen, because you got coronavirus, right?
0: I sure did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good times. So how long did you have to stay away from exercise, from working out?
0: Okay. So I did some research about it and saw that it's not like a flu or something that you can just uh, muscle your way through or whatever with exercise. You can actually do permanent lung and heart damage if you try to exert yourself when you have COVID. And a lot of top athletes have done this to themselves. There's some really sad cases out there of uh, professional athletes that just thought they were tougher than COVID and worked out and are fucked up. So I stopped completely while I had it and for a few weeks after, and then slowly tried to get back into it, but man, it's been hard because the side effects are brutal. And not everybody gets the same side effects, but for me, the side effects were lung stuff and fatigue stuff and brain fog. That's the shit that like carried over. And so, whereas before COVID I would walk like 10 miles with the weighted vest or something, and then get home, lift weights for like an hour and 15 minutes, and then get on the elliptical for an hour. And then that night walk two more miles or something, or go running. Now walking a mile would happen, and then I'd want to go to sleep. So it kind of took till now, actually. Now is mid-April, almost end of April. I got corona in December. In April and late March is when I started to get back to uh, normal with the workout. So it's, at the end of the day, that's just going to be a bump in the road. You know, five years from now, it's just going to be a four-month time period where I didn't work out much. But I have definitely slowed down from where I was last year. Goal being to get back to exactly what I was doing last year.
1: Wow, that is intense, man. Uh, well, I've known a lot of people that went through it and it's just, it's fascinating the wildly varying symptoms, right? Like I know a guy, yeah, smoker, completely unhealthy dude, about 67 years old, had it and was asymptomatic, nothing, right? And then I know people who were physically very active, who had mild symptoms and I know people who are physically very fit and very healthy that got fucked up. Right. So,
0: well, I got to say, though, I feel like I'm fortunate because had it happened to me a year earlier, who the hell knows if I would have died or whatever? Because I was like poster boy for comorbidities, <laughs> but I had zero comorbidities when it got me. And I had a mild case. Like, it really wasn't that bad. Like, the actual illness was not so bad for me. It was just these after effects sucked, but people have had it way worse than me.
1: What was your process? So you, like you say a year prior. So where were you then versus where you ended up getting to with your regiment?
0: A hundred pounds heavier a year prior. Mm.
1: What happened? Did you just one day say, I'm not, I'm over this. I'm going to do something about it or?
0: Well, I had already lost like 80 pounds by that point. So I was already in it. But then lockdown happened, which is, I saw you like- a few days before this, uh, when you were in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, that was then. That was then, yeah. Good Lord, man. it yeah. feels like a lifetime ago.
0: It was a lifetime ago.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Right around then, when lockdown happened, my thoughts were, well, I've already lost 80 pounds. We're going to be locked up for a while. I can't travel. I've wanted to not travel for a while. Time to go all in. And uh, so I just started going all in, like cut calories severely, and- exercised more and more and more. And then the lockdown just kept on extending and extending and extending. And so I just kept going at that same intensity and, you know, months and months later uh, had made a very quick, significant change.
1: Did you end up getting a vaccination? Yes. Canada is (laughs) we're like, I think number (laughs) 80 in the world for vaccinations at this point, like it's still locked down here. It's the worst it's been in Canada right now. And so there's all sorts of things that I'm supposed, you know, I'm supposed to be doing blood stock and, and all this, and they've got us signed up for, for the vaccinations, but they've got roadside checks. Like you can't leave your community now. And dude, we're right across the border. We're like 50 miles from, from Washington, but up here and in, in, uh, Ontario specifically, like the cases are insane and you have to stay at home the police check cars as you're going by to make to see where you're supposed to be going and like
0: holy shit
1: <laughs> yeah dude UK did great though UK did so well with the with the vaccination program they're just like we are fucking over it right but because Canada doesn't produce a vaccine we're reliant on others right so we're you know we sort of have to wait for these things so i have been in this room now <laughs> four. <laughs> Since we ate that time, you
0: <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I've talked to you in this room a few times. My
1: man, it smells exactly as you would expect to.
0: <laughs> so do you feel like having a year away from having to do all those things that would normally have to do as part of the career has been good for you?
1: Absolutely. Because it's forced me to sit with certain parts of my trip, whether or not it's professional or personal, that I haven't had the energy or the time to reflect on. And I think a lot of the pace that I've been moving at for the past so many years has accumulated all this baggage. And I'm not talking about like the type of psychological baggage that is, uh, it's not like I'm, uh, not that what, I guess what I'm saying is it's not what it implies with that sort of psychological baggage, but the baggage is more like, well, you've done all this stuff. How much of it do you want to do? And what is your motivation behind doing all this stuff? Like all these things that you've been pursuing have been for what? And it's easy to say, oh, it's well, you know, I'm success motivated or I'm financially motivated or I need validation. It's easy to sort of try and uh, explain any of that in those sorts of terms, but when you really have to sit with it and he realize it's like, well, it's a bit of each of those things, but really it's just the momentum that's been established over the past so many years. I haven't had time to rethink whether or not that's appropriate for me. By sitting here and by having to work and try and find ways to pivot the career and do streaming concerts or Twitch or write records and try and figure it out. It's been super good for me to, to say, okay, deal with this, dude. Like just sit with this and deal with it. Like where are you at? It hasn't been easy and it resulted in this record that I just finished. That's fucking gross. It's not a pleasant listen. And it's like, I got to figure out how to try and sell it to the, to the people who are so kindly supporting my work and still say, Hey, by the way, this is gross. This is not something that you're (laughs) going to want to put on. This is not a, it's gross. It's formless bullshit, but it was the result of having the opportunity to, to sit with this and really face it in a way. And so uh, I'm also simultaneously super proud of it. And uh, how that moves forward into the next stage, that's still kind of being determined. There's a lot of ways that it can continue, but I do know that the old model, even if I wanted it to, to function in the ways that it has for the past decade, it can't. They just can't take touring, for example, when that opens up again, the amount of venues are going to be shut, the amount of bands that are either no longer going to be active or going to be scrambling to try and find a routing. That's going to make sense with that lack of venues. Take, for example, the the Brexit thing, John, as I'm sure you're well aware, there's, there's so many stipulations for the majority of the crew that I've worked with for all these years have been British and the management company and the booking agents. And there's now all these stipulations in terms of how we're going to get merchandise to these different places. The overhead from the last couple of tours that we did, the last big one that we did in in Europe, all the shows except for maybe one were sold out and we still lost almost a quarter million dollars on that tour, right? And that was before this. So if you start factoring in all these things and then compound it with the sort of elaborate Type of musical vision that I have enjoyed for all these years. I'm like, man, you got to rethink this. It's not as simple as saying, well, we're gonna get back out there. I can do <laughs> acoustic shows, and that's what will probably happen straight out of the gate because those those seem to go over well, and it seems like the audience at least appreciates them enough for it to be uh, important for me to do. Also, the fact that the people that support my work, it's like you want to play for them, whether or not you like being on tour it's like these are the people that allow you to do your work so however we can get out there I'm certainly going to get out there but in terms of the big touring circus again and the crew and the vehicles and diesel having gone up in the ways that it has it's like in the you have to pivot it and so that's currently what we're doing and that whole combination of circumstances it's like we're talking about with the fits and starts with this with this podcast in the beginning of this when we're thinking people may not have, uh, had the stamina to start again and start again. You can, we can look at it like that for sure. But I think you can also look at this whole lockdown period as an opportunity in a lot of ways, not a pleasant one necessarily, but an opportunity to be able to say, okay, if this is being construed by our industry as a negative, how can we find ways to make this into something that something creatively honest or appropriate is going to be able to come out of it musically and... I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. I'm going to stop talking now. Here we go. Bam.
0: I think that the ability to pivot is fucking crucial. Um, it's fucking crucial in any kind of business, I think, even music business, especially nowadays. Maybe there was a time period where you could be an artist that people liked and then just set and forget forever, yeah. <laughs> but that's not now. That's not the time period we live in. Pivoting quickly, I think, is... The key to survival uh, these days, um, and I notice from you know from 2020, the people who pivoted the quickest and the earliest are doing the best now, for sure. It's one of those things where, like you said, the opportunity isn't pleasant, but the fact is that when things change, they're so much bigger than what we want or what we can affect. These changes are global. There's literally nothing we can do about it. So if we want our lives to continue on this path, I guess, we have to figure out a way to adapt or there's no room for us anymore. Precisely. Because somebody will adapt, right? So if we don't, somebody else will, people will go to them, basically.
1: It's like you just said, it's not pleasant, but if you have to deal with it, you have to deal with it. It's like, it's inevitable. So you might as well try to find a way to turn it into something that is on some level positive. but If you have to go through it anyway, kicking and screaming and sulking for a year and a half is just a waste of energy, really. Although I considered it.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I think it's perfectly valid to have gotten down and depressed last year or about this whole situation. It's a terrible situation. Just look at the death toll and all the horrible shit. But I decided that I was going to take that stance publicly, you know, through the podcasts and through everything URM and Riff Hard was doing, that you should be using this as an opportunity. Don't let this time just fly by because uh, when the world opens back up, it's going to be different. And the people who kept working this whole time and did everything to adapt, they're the ones who are going to do okay when, when things come back. Any other attitude... You're just making the situation worse. And that's not to say that I think that it's not okay to feel bad about it. I'm not trying to be insensitive or anything. I just wanted to point out to people that this is reality. This is it. There's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) (laughs) All you can do is try to make the best of it.
1: It's the reaction to these situations that's going to define what you are on the other side of this too, right? Like I think that, like you say, specifically over the winter, God, I don't know what it was like there, but up here in Vancouver, it was getting dark at like 2.30 in the afternoon and it wasn't getting sunny until like 10 in the morning and it was always raining and it just, everybody's upset and you you got your friends whose parents are passing away and everybody, yeah. you know, and there's like, there's all this dissension between uh, even in-laws, right? You'll have one person on one side of a political fence and another person on the other. And then up to this point, you had had holidays that when everybody was together and laughing and everything. And now it's like, you can't even have a discussion about the weather without it turning into some heated debate about masks or politics or, or viruses or vaccines. And, and I just remember over the winter just being like, wow, man, more so than feeling super, super depressed. I was just more aware of like, wow, this is heavy. (laughs) This is not like, (laughs) you know, I'm just going to have to roll with this one because damn. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, fear manifests in different ways too. And because the way I I look at even the whole thing that has happened and continues to happen with masks or or what have you, regardless of what side of the fence you find yourself on that. I'm looking at the little old ladies that are in the shopping mall that are wearing masks. And so say somebody was just like, I don't agree that masks are, are useful. Say that with somebody's stance. I think, why would you stress out that little old lady then? Like, just don't be a dick. Like, like she's stressed enough as it is. Like just put on, dude, just fucking wear a mask around her. Like whether or not you agree with it, whether or not you, like the stance that people tend to take. And I mean, I can appreciate if you've got, uh, uh, you know, a point that you're trying to make and you're trying to enact some sort of change regardless if it's that or the other thing. But I I just think as a human being, everybody's so fucking stressed that like, just do your best to try and be kind to people. Like that's, what's going to make this experience for that little old lady less traumatic is if you're not railing on (laughs) some, you know, (laughs) you're a fucking sheep. And she's just like, Holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I
0: do think it's important To pay attention to the world you live in and to have a stance, yeah, it's important. But do you think that people use current events these days as a distraction from worrying about their own lives and uh, (laughs) doing what they can to fix their own shit?
1: Yeah, probably. I also think that there's the social media aspect and the internet itself has simultaneously given everybody a voice yet removed anybody's power in a way. Because if everybody has a voice and on the same level, like no one has a voice. So it's almost people seemingly tend to have so much of their identity invested in their opinions at this point. Like, for example, um, you know, I eat vegetarian and I eat vegan when I'm away, but sometimes I'll eat meat. Not not very often, but I, I, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? It's like I choose to eat vegetarian because, I don't know, it's just kind of what I prefer, you know? And when it comes down to, you know, your people are, are so viciously opposed to things that seem to fly in the face of what their identity is due to the things that they believe, whether or not it's like, you know, hardcore veganism or, or right wing or left wing or, or what have you. It seems like that anger reaction is more just due to the fact where it's in absence of that identity. It's like they don't exist So it's like if you're not these things, then who are you?
0: Well, that's a much tougher thing to try to answer, right?
1: I would imagine it would be much more fun at the end just to be like, who am I? I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter, does it?
0: Do you think that part of what's going on, people's fear response and anger response, is because they really didn't understand that our world and our society is a giant house of cards and that everything good that we have can go away in a moment. There's our society's fragile. I think a lot of people didn't really understand that and got a rude awakening.
1: <laughs> well, we're from the generation though, like even our parents didn't have to deal with World War II, you know. So there was there was certain and specifically in North America or or western society as it is, the amount of of trauma and um horror that goes on daily in the world. It's just such a omnipresent part of the human condition, but we've been so fortunate, our generation, our parents' generation, that we get a choice of six different types of Pepsis. You know, we can complain about Nicki Minaj or or whatever our trip is. It's like, and so when all of a sudden that house of cards, which has been clear to a lot of other places in the world, falls apart for us, our reaction And this is inevitable, I think, with having a society that was uh, sort of trained to be that way, is not going to be one of empathy. It's going to be one of tribalism. Everybody's going to be like, no, 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 you're not getting... I've got a stockpile of Pepsi and... I will fucking blow your head off if you come near it. Right. As opposed to like.
0: (laughs) It's my fucking Pepsi. You
1: know what I mean? It's like, I got lime Pepsi and crystal Pepsi. That's like from the eighties or whatever. Right. It's like as sad as it is and as depressing as it is to watch people, specifically people you care about, maybe go down that angle or that, that Avenue as well. I can't say that it's a shock. You know, I no, just, it, yeah. it's not a
0: shock. Yeah. It's kind of the obvious thing to happen. I feel like because of my experiences in the music industry, I've just been trained to see everything as a house of cards and to just imagine <laughs> that everything could go away at any point in time. So, society going away too has, you know, it's been on my mind. So, I guess I wasn't that shocked when it happened.
1: That's a great point, man. That's funny. We're t- we're trained just by trauma. That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> I was saying this on a podcast the other day. Anyone who has a career in the music industry that's longer than 2 years long has had the shit kicked out of them. You know, that's nobody who has survived has not had the shit kicked out of them by the industry or by life several times.
1: Oh, it's just I know a bunch of people who have served in the military. You know what I mean, and it's like when I think about what musicians or artists have had to deal with in comparison to to that level of trauma, it, it you know it doesn't even register. But I also feel that the point, maybe even beyond the word trauma, you know, just the amount of troubleshooting that we've had to do in an industry that is, uh, you know, founded and run by children in a lot of ways, and then. <laughs> You're sort of <laughs> and you're touring around the world in a garbage truck just trying to uh, <laughs> trying to eke out a living, right? So there's maybe more so than trauma, there's a certain amount of like, Holy fuck, how are we gonna deal with this on a practical level that prepares us in some way for this as well? But I also think, again, the reaction to society going in the direction it it seems to have gone over the past year is also really important to keep in check. Like exercise or whatever you're doing that allows you to keep a perspective and some degree of balance in your own uh, mental state. Because I think it's very easy to look at this and say, okay, well, because nothing is guaranteed and because it's a house of cards, there's two reactions to that. On one side, you can become hyper uh, protectionist of your own world. You're like, okay, I'm going to bolster my world against everybody and everything. And I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to become really, you know, emotionally distant because there's no one that's going to steal my Pepsi or whatever. But I think on the other side of it, to be able to say, okay, things are really fucked up, but at the same time, how can we amidst all the trauma of this and seeing people suffer and your parents and people dying and all this, how can you keep some degree of, of optimism in a fundamentally kind of depressing situation? But I think that the process of finding that has been really important for a lot of people I know as well, because if you get a bunch of people doing that, then it's not like everywhere you go, everybody's like a road warrior, (laughs) you know what I'm (laughs) saying? Mad Max. Mad Max, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: optimism is easy when things are going great. That's
1: it. Exactly, man.
0: The whole point (laughs) of practicing optimism is four times like these. So to help you get through times like these better.
1: hundred percent, man. Like I try consciously not to use social media as a way for me to say, ah, everything's fucked up and fuck this guy and this sucks and this fucking, ah, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not that I don't feel that, but I think, God, it's like, it's not like it's not already got enough of that going on. I'm just going to hold off on that. But as a result of maybe sometimes not being super verbal about that, people saying, well, your life seems to be really easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm fortunate for sure, you know, but if you think that any of us haven't had to deal with this shit in some profoundly distressing ways, you're not clearly seeing past your own nose, right? Every aspect of this, from going to the store, from dealing with family, from trying to find services, from trying to find a webcam to do streaming in a situation where people are gouging the price of them six times and you have to buy or whatever it is right it's like we all have to deal with this but i also think that just screaming into the void with a bunch of other people with that same fear all it does is just create more of that right and that's not what i want personally I'd, i'd like things to be less stressful i mean
0: that negativity not only do people put it out into the world where it influences other people but to actually go through the effort of creating something whether it's a post or a tweet you're still you're creating something and you are hitting a button so you're making a conscious decision to take something you created and put it out in the world it's not the same as a song or a movie but still it's a it's a micro creation if you are consciously doing that that's your output into the world. And as you know from exercising your creative muscle, you kind of get more, (laughs) you go down a path and you just get more and more and more and more. I think that it's very bad for people's personal mental health to go to where they have to go to actually create something that negative and uh, say, this is what I want the world to see. This is my contribution.
1: Devil's advocate though, and I do agree. And I'm just gonna use a personal example of the writing that I've I've gone through this year. So when the when the pandemic first started and I started writing, I had this impression in my mind that I want my work to help people in some way. So I started writing things that I thought would be beneficial, you know, something that had like a positive slant or something that was optimistic. And it wasn't long till I recognized, just having had to sit with myself in the ways that we've had to this year that I'm like, Oh, I don't think you're being honest with yourself at this point. I think you're denying how traumatic this is for you, mm-hmm. and what ended up being the next creative platform for me ended up being disgusting. And it's not because, in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, "Well, this is this is uh, I'm choosing to make this disgusting thing for the sake of of trying to uh, make the world more more negative." It's more like the emotional authenticity that comes with being able to really say this is where I'm at. And it's not that I'm not trying, but this is hard. This pandemic is hard, right? So if I can find an angle to make that, like make a point out of that, that's got like a degree of, of therapeutic quality, then I think actualizing that negativity in that sense becomes important too, because if your goal is to get past it, Which it certainly is. It's like, it would be insane not to, it'd just be masochism, right? But if your goal is to get past it and that's in the way, then to not deal with that and to, to cover it with this sort of sense of everything's great, you know, as was really where I found myself in the beginning of the year. I was like, everything's great. Here's a bunch of songs about how great it is. And I'm thinking, dude, you are full of shit. It's not. Mm -hmm. This is fucking crazy, man. So by making this thing that was just, ah, now that it's done, it's like, I got to figure out how to, it's like, oh, right, how do you sell vomit to people? Great, right? But it's like, ultimately, having done that now, I'm like, oh, I feel like that's was really important. So perhaps on some level, just spitballing here, some of the intent of, of the negativity that we find on social media is maybe got a similar intention. Maybe people are trying to just get it out of their system.
0: Well, I think there's a difference. And the difference is that You're creating a piece of art. You're not trying to influence somebody. You're exorcising some terrible thing and uh, putting it in musical form. But it's not with the intent of making somebody believe something different or anything like that, right? You're just doing what you do. No, there is an intent, though. What's the intent?
1: I would like the effort that goes into being honest with myself to be seen as as something that is... Capable, you know, you you can do that. It's okay to be honest with yourself about how you feel, whether or not it's positive or negative. And I think that, as an intention, is has very much been a part of the work. It's like here, I want to help on some level because if you have people that are influenced by your work or that listen to it, I found in the past, uh, if I go into things with a lack of accountability. People can misinterpret that. So it's just whether or not that's your responsibility, which is debatable. I think that the intention is like, well, I don't want to hurt people. That is an actual intention with the work, for sure.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So when someone makes a post that's super hateful, you know, or super negative and puts that into the world about society, this society, that politician, this politician, that this celebrity's a whore, whatever. Um, something super, super negative. The direct intention isn't to help people necessarily. It's to influence them into a certain way of thinking that's super negative. It's almost weaponized.
1: Do you think that's the intention or just maybe it's selfishness? They're not even thinking about other people.
0: Might be that too.
1: They're just like, fuck you and, and that's it, right? As far as it goes is, is this is my opinion and, and eat a dick, right? Like. <laughs> I got to be super careful with, with social media because I can, when you start going down those rabbit holes and start reading some of that stuff, it, it makes me feel the way that I think it's intended to make you feel right. I'm like, now I'm angry or now I'm scared or now I'm pissed off or whatever. And, and so, but it's just so alluring, right? Like the way these algorithms have been set up, it's just like, oh, oh you're like, smart. you like kittens here, here's the kitten blog by fuck you. You're a piece of shit. 2254, or whatever, right? (laughs) Like
0: (laughs) the number one thing that gets people's attention on the internet is stuff that makes people angry. That and obviously porn. And then stuff that makes people laugh is pretty high, but it's not as high as stuff that makes people angry. So that's why radio shows uh, like Talk Radio while wow, that was a big thing, uh, was so negative. That's what got viewers in. That's why so many YouTube channels are YouTubers who will go after other YouTubers or make it a point of just talking lots of shit. That is what people are attracted to.
1: Well, I, I, was th- I keep thinking that as uh, Neanderthal was to Cro-Magnon, human beings are to AI. We're just watching the next step of evolution that's just like, we don't have to fuck with each other. We'll just eliminate the emotional component of this. And, and then <laughs> carbon evolves to silicon, you know what I mean? And then we're viewed as this fallible thing that's yelling at each other about cat videos in the long run, right? They can't figure out complex you know, mathematical equations. I think that you're absolutely right about the intent. And I think one of the, the most telling things about the fallibility of, of the human species is that we've got a whole lineage of people going, "Oh, we can make more money and have nicer Christmases for our kids if we keep everybody in the world pissed off at each other." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's just it's so dumb. And not only is it dumb, but we have this society now that we all we, we go to the store, we have to deal with it. You know, just people like just pissed off. And you're trying to navigate that while you're just trying to get toothpaste or something.
0: A lot of people don't realize that their outrage is a manufactured thing (laughs) that basically has made a bunch of people really rich and continues to make people absolutely really, really rich. These companies that take a stance do not give a fuck about that stance and they don't give a fuck about how we feel about things. They just give a fuck about who's clicking and what lines their pockets. And I think that if everybody just understood that, that It's just capitalism. I think they would chill out a little bit.
1: Have you tried stopping social media recently?
0: Well, no, but what I do is I filter it. Okay. I have a Facebook filter, and then I actively add stuff to the filter all the time. My filter now, like, basically, I'll put in words that I don't want to see anything about. So any politician that's famous, like, any, like, thing that people are going nuts about, like, everything from guns to veganism to who the hell knows death metal (laughs) (laughs) check out my band is in there big things coming soon game of thrones like whatever just stuff that people that i feel is like garbage in i try to eliminate because i have to be on social media for work so i'm trying to make it less of a negative experience
1: brave is a good browser have you tried that one never heard of it yeah it, it filters out ads
0: oh that's cool this thing i'm talking about is called facebook purity It's an extension that you can add to your Facebook. But I think it's a Chrome extension. Either way, if people want to have a less negative experience (laughs) or a more positive experience, uh, that's helped tremendously.
1: I used to love YouTube, but man, the, the clickbait splash screens drive me fucking crazy. Whenever I find a pattern in something, I can't ignore it. But the one where they're like, Oh my God. You know what I mean? I tried sticking marbles in my dink hole for two weeks. This is what happened <laughs> or whatever it is. Right. It's like every time I see those splash pages, I'm just like, Oh, I, I, I hate this. I like, I, I just, you know what I mean? It's like the stupid face and the, and like the, it's got the glow around the guy and it's got the WTF <laughs> in big letters. I'm just like. Oh my God. But I, and the thing is, I used to like the ones where they'd be like an hour and a half of people making soft bread at Korean bakeries or something. I like that. But every time they turn it on, they got the same sort of 2006 house music. You know what I mean? Do <laughs> it, do 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 it, And I'm just like, oh, fuck. But because there's, we don't have cable and because Netflix in Canada is just so garbage, right? It's like we don't have anything. And then when you do have it, you're scrolling through the same thing. Apparently, my algorithm assumes that I want to see 40 documentaries about serial killers. And I'm like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So it's it's like I'm trying to figure Ten out
0: marbles what. in your dick. Hole.
1: <laughs> you see that one? He's like, "Oh my god, I never expected my belly to look like that, or whatever it is." Right? It's like, and then you watch the video, and it's just, and I I do too. And at the end, you're just like, "It's we all do." Oh my god, what's wrong with us? That's why we're becoming extinct, man. Because we're watching those videos.
0: <laughs> I mean, the machines have figured out how to keep us glued to this shit
1: yeah it works too doesn't it
0: on that i know you've got a live stream so we can uh end the episode but Devin, it's been a pleasure as always just shooting the shit
1: always great man i love having gotten to know you over the past couple of years dude it's like likewise we, yeah we first met each other it was like this same scene but we never really crossed paths but all of a sudden i'm like oh yeah <laughs> this makes perfect sense
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. I honestly, first time we met was really, really cool. I remember coming on your bus and talking to you for a while. And then after that, you were kind enough to tell me how to do in-ear monitors. Like, I don't even remember that, but you gave me... You e- I asked you, and you told me to email you. I asked you how you guys did your in your rig and all that, all that stuff that you guys did. You sent me like a seven paragraph email <laughs> with like exactly how to do everything. Oh, that's awesome, man.
1: Well, I, you know what? So thank you. I, I, you're so welcome, man. And I, I mean, I just even as we get to know each other, even just the lineage, like your your father being the musician that he is, and all these things, it's been fascinating, man. Like just, it's no surprise how you've ended up doing the things that you do with that, man. It's like super fascinating to me and